Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Good morning. It's family worship. And so we need to utilize some of the strength of the youth in the room. I think we need to play Simon Says. How many of you know how to play Simon Says? Okay, so for the kids and the kids at heart, would you please follow along with me? Simon Says, stand up. Simon Says, do this. Simon Says, do this. Simon Says, do this. Do this. All right. Do this. Simon Says, sit down. With all apologies to Simon, who cares what Simon says? I mean, but seriously, shouldn't we be more concerned with what God says? And we so easily obey God as as we do Simon with such silly things? We have just spent four months in the sermon that Jesus preached, giving us so many things to do. And I'd like to talk about obedience today. And I'd like to um, think about why we should obey God and why we don't obey God. We're going to spend a bit of time looking at um, the Great Commission, the Great Command in Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming by the aisles, and uh, if you don't have one, raise your hand. And if you um, if you have one, either on the uh, Bible app. Version Bible app or Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn to Matthew 28? We're going to spend some time there in a moment. Um, some of you know that um, not only am I an elder here at LEFC, but I am the, the director of intercultural studies at Lancaster Bible College where I teach. My students know that I am a, um, well, sometimes they call me a grammar policeman. Let's say, say that grammar rules are important for good communication. Unless, of course, you're in South Central Pennsylvania where you might say something like, throw me down the stairs my hat once. <laughs> throw me down the stairs my hat once. Now, there, does, there is some logic to it because there's some German grammar imposing itself on English language there. So there is some rules, some rhyme, some reason for the, the rules there. But when it comes to my classroom, grammar is important. And a student will make a decision about using good grammar based on two things. My authority and the consequences of not following that authority. And their grade will reflect it at some level. Well, we do the same thing with God, though, don't we? We make decisions on obedience based on our view of God or the consequences of disobedience. And so today I really want to think about that as we look at a couple of passages. And 
Last week, uh, Tony wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount and he talked about, we just saw on the bumper video again, the um, building your house on the sand or the rock. The two verses right after that, that wrap up that sermon though, say this, Jesus said this, or are they uh, were written in Matthew 7, 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There's that word authority. If we're going to talk about obedience, we have to talk about authority. And Jesus had authority. So again, you're looking at Matthew 28. Let's look at Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Let me go ahead and, and why don't you read along with me as I read these verses. This is at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they recognize this is a teacher of, with authority. And at the end, Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. You see, there's, the purpose of having authority is to be able to tell people to do things. What good is authority if you don't do anything with it? Likewise, as followers, we have to decide what is this authority? Who is this authority? What kind of authority is this person who's asking or telling me to do something? And so what I'd like to look at here are four things. First of all, the motive for obedience, the obstacles to obedience, blessings for obedience, and finally, a call to obedience. So when we think about a motive for obedience, there's really only one, to honor God. Honoring God is our motive for obedience. When the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped him. And as we'll see throughout this time together, worship leads to obedience. If we're not obeying, we may not be worshiping. Our response to God is obedience to God, and not just to him, but to those authorities that he places over us. And sometimes through, through our, the people that we have responsibility for. So when we talk about honoring God, what does that mean? To honor God, it's not, and here's where I come back to maybe some of my pet peeves in terms of semantics. One of the graduate classes I took in my master's program was on semantics, the study of the meaning of words. Why do we use this word and not this word? For example, what's the difference between honoring God and pleasing God? Scripture tells us that we should do both, but there's a difference, especially if you're from, uh, if you're a people pleaser, and I'm guessing that there's more than a few of you in this room. But the idea of people pleasing is you don't want someone to be upset with you. So I'm going to do something so that person will be pleased with me. I'm going to do this in order to get something back. As opposed to honoring where I am just honoring God. Honoring my parents. Honoring these authorities in my life. Honoring this person. It's a one directional, I'm going to honor that person. 
instead of pleasing that person in order to get something back. Now again, there are times when pleasing is appropriate, but with honoring, uh, the focus I want to put here is that we are focusing on God and God alone, and not just what I get from God, because I'm sure I'm glad he's pleased with me, otherwise I'd be really nervous. Which reflects a faulty view of who God is. In Joshua 24, 15, a very common verse, Joshua says to the people of Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. But before he did that, he rehearsed all of God's faithfulness. He worshiped God with Israel. Remember all that God has done for us. We worship God. Now choose for yourself whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve, serve the Lord. And they say, we will. And he says, uh, no, you won't. Yeah, we will. Uh, no, I know you. You won't. Yes, we will. Okay, fine. Then let's establish this stone pile here as a remembrance of the commitment that you're making. And I think one of the things that I take away from this passage is we should not be too quick to obey without fully understanding he whom we are obeying and what we are obeying to do, agreeing to do, what we are choosing to do. See, the more we focus on God, the more attractive obedience becomes. The more we focus on God, the more attractive obedience is because we're honoring God. So then what are some of the obstacles that would keep us from living this out, from being obedient? Well, the first one is a pretty obvious one. It's pride. I want to elevate myself. I want to promote myself. You know, we, we served overseas for a number of years, and some of you maybe even have read the old classic book, The Ugly American. You know, we're so, coming in, hey, I'm an American. I have my rights. No, no, no. I'm an American. I have my rights. And we think, my rights, my rights, my rights. When we should be thinking, my purpose, my purpose, my purpose to honor God. What is, and sometimes those align with each other, but sometimes they are at conflict with each other. And when so, I would hope that my purpose would override my rights and I would allow myself to die to self for the sake of my purpose of honoring God and letting go sometimes. Likewise, not only does pride get in the way, but fear gets in the way. Sometimes we have a fear of obeying God. I'm afraid of what might happen if I do what he asks me to do. And so I protect myself. Sometimes through disobedience or delayed obedience or something else. And again, that reveals a faulty view of God because God loves me. He is all-powerful. Not only is he able to protect me, but he desires to love me. And by the way, have you ever heard it said that the, best, the safest place is the center of God's will? It may not be the safest place, but it is the best place. Just ask those brothers and sisters of ours around the world who are suffering in the center of God's will. And there are times when we are in the middle of God's will, it is not necessarily safe, but God is with us at all times. And he will go with us through those difficult times. And if we try to protect ourselves from those difficult times, we may be missing out on God's best for us. Another obstacle is frustration or weariness because we're trying to do it on our own efforts. 
I want to do, I want to live this Christian life, this God-honoring life in my own power, in my own strength, when I was not intended to do so. He gave us the Holy Spirit and others to help us to do what he's called us to do. And he, um, Paul actually re um, rebuked the Galatians when he wrote in Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? In other words, you've come to Christ in salvation by grace through faith. Not anything you've done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Then comes verse 10, for we are created under good works that he's foreordained for us to do. Yes, the good works come after a salvation, but that sanctification process, becoming more and more like Christ, that too is a work of God in our lives. Now, have any of you ever been in an orchard before? Um, apple orchard, peach orchard, I mean, peach, by the way, peach is my favorite cup fruit. How anyone could be tempted by an apple more than a peach is beyond me. But a friend of mine, Jim Rhodes, once shared this illustration with me. I have, imagine going into the orchard at nighttime and listening very, very closely. Listen, listen, to the, listen for the trees. Fruit. Fruit. The trees are producing fruit. They're working hard to produce fruit. No. They don't work hard to produce fruit. Fruit comes because of the growth within them. And so it is with us. When Tyler shared a couple of weeks ago about how we will be known by our fruit, our fruit is a byproduct of our growth in Christ. As we become more like God, we will become conformed to the image of his son, and we will do the good works, the fruit, that come with that growth. You see, we focus sometimes too much on producing fruit that we lose sight of the need to grow in Christ, which results in that fruit. One other obstacle is submission. Some people struggle with authority. We had one person on the field, I remember, um, who struggled with his team leader, and I was above that, and so we were best friends as I mediated that conflict between them until... I became his direct report, and now I was the problem. And that pattern continued on for four layers of leadership, and it became very obvious this person has authority issues. And there may be people in this room who have authority issues. That dreaded word, submission. We just sang about the Trinity a little while ago, and I love the example of the Trinity, how Jesus did the will of the Father. Didn't make him any less God. How the Holy Spirit seeks to bring glory to the Son. Doesn't make him any less God. And so when we think about the word submission, we recognize that submission has everything to do with function and nothing to do with value. And so when I am asked to submit to God, or when my wife is encouraged in Scripture to submit to her husband, or my children are encouraged to submit, to, oh my goodness, children, do you know that the Bible says that you're supposed to submit to your parents? Well, those parents are supposed to submit to God. And how about our employer-employee relationships? We are 
encouraged, commanded in Scripture to submit to one another, which presupposes that, at least for believers, that we are walking with God and deserving of that submission. So what are the blessings of obedience? Well, just as the single motive of obedience is honoring God, that too becomes the number one blessing of obedience. First and foremost, we honor God. Declare his glory among the nations, his mighty deeds to all the, work, all the earth. If we don't seek that as our primary motive, how is that going to... We will be robbed of the blessing of honoring God in our lives. Think about it. I get to honor God. Is there a higher calling? I get to honor God by what I choose to do or not to do. I get to lift up his name. I get to declare his glory. Now, I do want to refer to one time where, at least one of the verses that talks about pleasing God and how this relates to this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, it says, By faith Enoch was taken from, his, from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe two things. First, that he exists, and two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you want to please, honor God? First of all, believe that he exists and earnestly seek after him. If you do that, he's committed to rewarding you by revealing himself more to you. It, the more I get to know God, the more I want to know God. The more I get to know God, the more I want to obey God. My responsibility first is to pursue Christ, is to get to know him, is to want to get to know him. The second blessing of obedience is a demonstration of my loving God. And I'd like us to turn to John 14 for a moment. John 14, verses 15 to 21. You know, later on, towards the end, at the end of the service, we're going to sing Trust and Obey, which for some of you are already anticipating. But my, I, there's a challenge there with this passage and that hymn. There's, the temptation is to make God a, a performance-based God relationship. But look at this passage in John 14, verses 15 to 21. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to them. You see, we see a relationship between knowing God and obeying him. The more I know him, the more I will obey him. That's, that hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Again, that passage and that verse, it's almost like, wait a minute, God, you're only going to be happy with me if I do what you do? It's a little bit twisting the relationship. Think about this loving God 
who wants me to honor him. He's not looking down over me. I mean, Howard Hendricks, I remember him saying one time, some people have this view of God. Are you having fun down there? Well, cut it out. What? That's not the God that I serve. That's not the God that I seek to honor and obey. As I love him, I will obey his commands. They are so intricately intertwined that they're not separated. I love him. How do I know? How does he know? Because I'm obeying what he told me to do. Likewise, parents, children, why would a child want to do what the parent tells? Because of that love that's there. That's felt both in both directions. We shouldn't look at our relationship as a, as a performance-based relationship. But there's another blessing of obedience, and that is protection. How many of you have been to the um, new uh, playground? Uh, what is it? A treehouse playground in town? Okay, there's a... I mean, it's one of the newest playgrounds. It's really cool. This, uh, you'll see a picture of a playground. and It's not that one, but it's one like it. And there was some research done a while back. Children were told they could go outside of the school and play around the school, and there, there was no fence, and so they stayed very close to the playground. But then when the fence was built, they had so much freedom within the protection of the limits of the fence, which I thought was a great example of God's commands, God's laws. They are protective, and they give us freedom to do, to live out our lives, to obey. We know what the limits are, and once we know what those limits are, we have freedom within them. Kids, sometimes your parents tell you to do something that you don't want to do, or that you, they tell you not to do something you want to do for your protection. We parents, you know, we, we want our kids to learn how to make mistakes, but we also need to protect them and tell them, no, you may not run out in the road. No, please don't touch the oven when it's hot for your protection. And so likewise, sometimes we fail to recognize the protective element of God's commands of what he's told, telling us to do or not to do. Finally, uh, the, another um, part of that is that peace comes with obedience. One of my concerns sometimes is that we say to ourselves, well, I didn't have peace about that, so I didn't do that. But I don't see in Scripture where peace is given before obedience. Not that it might not be, but I think sometimes we think, I, I need to have peace before I will say yes. There are times when <laughs> I know in my life that I've had to say yes, not because I had peace, but because I knew this is what God told me to do. In fact, I would be fearful of not doing that. Which leads to the fourth benefit is that we actually bless others by our obedience. Think about Paul when he wanted to go, I mean, they wanted to go here, and God said no. Because he revealed the Macedonian call, go over here, and the people of Macedonia were blessed. Sometimes God's no is to prepare ourselves for the better yes that's coming. And sometimes we don't like to hear no. But again, what's our, what's our view of God? Doesn't he have a bigger, bigger picture in mind? Doesn't he know what's happened and will happen in your life? And how he might use your obedience to bless you and others? 
So let's, let's talk about what it looks like to obey here at LEFC. <laughs> Again, we've just spent four months of God telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do in the Sermon on the Mount. We've got plenty of things to obey. We don't have to wonder, okay, I wonder what God told me to do. Just go back over the past four months and listen to the sermons again. Open your Bible. Spend time in prayer. But keep in mind that what you do communicates obedience or disobedience. Obedience comes only after being taught. Think about this. There are times when I want to bless someone. And so I think, how can I creatively do something for that person? That's, that's good, right? That's not obedience. Obedience always comes after being told to do something. Not that we shouldn't bless others. We're sort of in a, a season of blessing right now in our family. This time of year, we go from Mother's Day to my birthday to yesterday was our anniversary to Carol's birthday to Father's Day. I mean, we're all five of these things together. Many opportunities to bless. Okay. But here we're talking about opportunities to obey. And they come after being taught. So we're, we look at the great command, for example, the great commission. But what about the little commands? Um, in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 31, we have the parable of the two sons. And let me read this. What do you think? Jesus said. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. In other words, it's not so much the words as much as it is the actions, isn't it? And we might say to God, do what, I will do whatever you want me to do, go wherever you want me to go, say whatever you want me to say. But until we actually do go or say, are we really being obedient with more than our lips? So there are actually a couple of different forms of disobedience. And tell me if the, any of these sounds familiar to you, parents. <laughs> How about delayed obedience is disobedience? Have you ever employed this technique? One, two, two and a half. <laughs> Delayed obedience is disobedience. This is a story of a, a missionary. A missionary looked out the front door to see his child playing beneath a tree in the yard. On the branch over the child was a very large and deadly snake. The father called to his son, Johnny, drop on your knees and crawl to me. Johnny did as his father said, and once he was out of range, his father explained the reason for his sudden and seemingly weird command. The point, I would tell my children, is that you must always obey me right away without question. You may ask questions later. What might have happened if that boy had asked why? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Just ask Jonah. Yeah, he got there. But look at the journey he put himself on by delayed obedience. Likewise, selective obedience is disobedience. In fact, I would call it idolatry. I get to choose what I want to obey. 
Okay, I know none of you children would have, done, have ever done this before, but you know when mom or dad calls you by name and says, look at me, and you hear the words, but you choose not to look. Now, mom and dad know you hear them, and yet still you choose to not look. You are choosing to disobey by making yourself the person to obey. And don't we do that with God sometimes? Hey, here's something I'd like you to do. Um, Not listening. We hear, but we don't listen, which is disobedience. It's as if we get to choose what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. Isn't that idolatry? By choosing to make myself God rather than God, 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 making him God. So as... Joshua said again, choose you this day whom you will serve. Let me share some quick examples from scripture. How about Noah? Um, by the, this, every year I read through the scriptures. If, if you read four chapters a day from January 1st to April 14th, and then three verses, the three chapters a day, the rest of the year, you will have read through the whole Bible every year. I do this every year with a different theme to help me to focus. This year's theme is Obedience. So every time I see an example of obedience, I put a little O in the margin, or of disobedience, an O with a line through it. So in Genesis, here's one of the first examples. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now the title of this sermon is, what is So What Is Your So What? And I love the word so in this context. A great example is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, with Abram. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So listen, the Lord, here's the first four verses of Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. What are those next three words? So Abram went. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. But those three words, so Abram went. What's my so? When God tells me to do something, so Ed obeyed. Put your name in there. So I obeyed. Uh, another example in Moses where uh, Israel said, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's Words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. One more example in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas. In fact, why don't you turn to Acts 13 right now. Acts 13, again, we'll look at the first four verses of Acts 13. And look for the word so, uh, depending on your translation. Acts 13, verses one through four. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had, a, had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4, the two of them, Sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucus, 
and sailed from there to Cyprus. Or we could say, so they went. See the progression? Worship, command, obedience. Worship, knowing God. Command, receiving from God. Obedience, obeying God. Here at LAFC, our mission statement. Why are we here at this church? The mission of LEFC is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We do this by sharing Christ in our relational worlds and pouring into the lives of others. We seek to, pro- to be people who love God, love people, live truth, and proclaim Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Making disciples? This is what Jesus commanded us to do. By the way, uh, was, was that command given to just the 12 disciples? It's one of the debates that I have in my biblical theology admissions class. Trick question because it doesn't matter. If it was given only to the 12 disciples, part of the command was to teach them to obey all the commands that I've given them. And so part of discipleship needs to be teaching to obey. What's that Greek word that we use so often here at church? I'm sorry, what was that? Oikos. <laughs> Literally household. But we use it here to talk about our relational world. And we typically talk about who in your circle of influence, your relational world, does not know Christ that you can be praying for. But I would like to emphasize that this is not just for evangelism, but also for discipleship. How do I help those in my oikos who are here move one step closer to God? Whether it be someone who doesn't yet know God that needs to come into relationship with him or someone who does already know God that needs to move one step closer to knowing him. And by the way, how can I find people in my relational world to help me move one step closer to God? When we're commanded to make disciples, we need to think about being discipled and making disciples of those around us. Let me share a couple of examples of people who have obeyed. Caitlin Bailey talked with her a couple months ago, and I heard her say this, God, if you want me to be a missionary, you'll have to speak louder. He did. She obeyed. And then God closed the door. And then he opened another door. And she is obediently following to Camp Gilead down in Florida. And it's exciting to see what God is doing through Caitlin Bailey. How about Don and Sandy Graham back on home assignment right now? And uh, you may have seen their picture on the, one of the posters in the back of the, ca- the cafe there. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Don said to me this quote, I wish more people my age would let go and go. I wish more people my age would let go and go. You know, we've got great opportunities to be impacted by others here at this church through ABFs and life groups. But I want to say, great, be involved in those things. Get involved in the church but then in your relational world where the individual relationships happen, evangelizing and discipling. You know, utilize your oikos, recognizing that obedience is a lifestyle, not just an event. Are you developing a lifestyle of obedience? And how can you do that except you are walking closely with the Lord? The more I know him, 
the more I will want to obey him and that obedience muscle, it will become muscle memory. He tells me to do something, yes, Lord, I, so he went. Do this, so I did it. As I am worshiping, I am preparing myself for obedience. And we do that individually and we do that collectively as a church. So what's the motive for obedience? Honoring God. What are the obstacles? My pride, my fear, my self-effort. What are the blessings? Honoring God, loving God, blessing others. And yes, even protection for myself. Think about this statement as we come to the end. I'll give you a few questions in a moment. If I don't want to obey God, I probably have to review my image of God. If I don't want to obey God, what does that say about how I view God? Children, if you don't want to obey your parents, what does that say about your view of your mom and dad? If you don't want to obey your employer, what does that say about your view of your employer? Christian or otherwise. This, this, you see the pattern? We get to represent God to those under us in author, on, that we have authority over. But we also get to represent Christ in how we obey those he puts over us. So a few questions. What obedience is easier for you or difficult for you? What are the motivators for disobedience? Is it pride or fear? Which of God's attributes most draws you to obedience of his commands? And how can we as a church and as individuals continue to build a culture of evangelism and discipleship here at LEFC? as we consider those things we have the opportunity to respond to the Lord in song um, I would invite you to stand and join with us as we sing with the chance to commit ourselves to those things that the Lord has called us to and trusting in him for who he is he is, he is good and he is trustworthy let's sing
think about how many of you have you ever said we need to make him Lord in our lives newsflash (laughs) he already is he is Lord the real issue is will we yield to his lordship will we obey because he already is Lord when we call him Lord it has to mean something trust and obey for there's no other way think about how what a view of God it is that we have such a holy God and such a loving God that we get to obey. I'll be here if anyone wants to meet and pray afterwards. The encounter rooms back there are on my left, your right. May this week be one in which you pursue Christ. Don't pursue obedience. Pursue God. Yield to his lordship and watch yourself obey. Father, may that be true in our lives, individually and collectively. In Jesus' name and for your glory, amen. You're dismissed.